everyone. Welcome to the Powerhouse Podcast. I'm Coach Megan, and I missed you all last week. I was traveling, so we didn't quite get a podcast episode out, but I promise this will more than make up for it this week. I am so incredibly honored to have the two founding members of the Art of Charm and the Art of Charm podcast on the Powerhouse Podcast today. I got the chance to interview Johnny and AJ, and they are masters at human dynamics, relationships, and really just helping people become their best selves. They have studied psychology and sociology and human behavior, and oh my gosh, just have helped so many thousands of people over the past 14 years. They were kind of in the game of you know, self-development, personal development way before it was cool, way before social media, and have interviewed some of the greatest celebrities in the personal development field and regular celebrities in the world on their podcast. I cannot tell you how incredibly honored I am to have had about an hour of their time. And I know that you guys are going to so enjoy this podcast. Today, we talked about relationships. We talked about how to navigate this crazy time in COVID. We talked about confidence and we talked about how to gain the it factor in charisma, even if you weren't born with it, even if you're an introvert. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. Tune in, listen to it on repeat, follow and subscribe to their podcast, The Art of Charm. And here is my conversation with Johnny and AJ. Well, welcome everyone to this absolutely incredible episode of the Powerhouse Podcast. I am so honored to be with AJ and Johnny here today from the Art of Charm podcast. Do not walk, run, and go follow their podcast right now. They are experts in psychology and sociology and just fellow personal development. I hate the word guru, but people who love to just build people up into the best versions of themselves, you know, leaders in life. They're masters at human dynamics and For all of you guys listening, you guys know that I'm a huge podcast junkie. It's why I started my own podcast. And so I cannot say enough. I know we've had some pretty cool people on this podcast, but like I'm literally so honored and so giddy. I have so many questions in front of me uh, that I want to ask these guys today. We're going to talk all about just how we work as humans. And I've got some cool questions up my sleeve. So thank you so much, you guys, for being here today. Well, thank you for having us. I know Johnny and I are just as excited. Very excited. Awesome. Well, my first question to kind of dive right in is how the heck did you guys get started in all this? I heard earlier and I've been listening to your podcast. You guys have been in the game for officially 14 years, have helped thousands of people. And so how in the world did you even get interested in this world of analyzing and understanding human beings in the first place? Well, my background is in science and I was in graduate school working on a cancer biology PhD and i realized that my social skills were lacking i was raised by a single dad who taught me hard work is the way to get ahead and that here i was in the lab slaving away and not getting ahead and wondering why the people around me just didn't like me as an introvert and someone who was shy and anxious at times i thought that i was doing everything i could to win them over but i got some really negative feedback that sent me into a bit of a tailspin And that led me to personal development, especially around building relationships and communication. And I crossed paths with rock star Johnny, and he was on his own personal development journey. And we decided to team up together. And at that point, I dropped out of graduate school, moved to New York, and the Art of Charm was born. And uh, for myself, it was, I was living in North Carolina. I was in the middle of dealing with a music career, but 
in the in the longer version of that story, the industry that I wanted to become a part of was rapidly changing. This was the um, early 2000s. The the industry that I wanted to be a part of, the ritual, the symbolism, that was all rapidly changing. And not only was it changing, I didn't. No one knew what it was even going to become. Social media wasn't even there yet. We were still in the death throes of Friendster and the, the middle of MySpace and LimeWire. And I mean, no one could have guessed and what was coming or predicted. And then at the, at the same time, with everything changing so rapidly and me heading into my late 20s, early 30s, I needed to really figure out if this was something that I still wanted to be doing in my life. And with the rug pulled out from under me, so to speak, of everything that I've wanted to do my whole life rapidly changing, um, I really needed to sit down and figure out who I was, what I was interested in, and if this was something I wanted to continue to do, and if so, to, to what degree? And during that journey, I had discovered self-development as a great tool to start to learn about myself. As I learned about myself, I became a better person. As I implemented new ideas into my life, I started to become a lot more happier, more productive. And one obsession led into the next, which, uh, I was just all about consuming self-development, psychology, and philosophy, which led a chance meeting with AJ on his path in DC, and the Art of Charm was created. Yeah, what an incredible story. I admire that. I hope that uh, my podcast can can reach people in, in a similar way. Um, and I just think it's so cool when we turn our personal journey into something that can help so many other people. So how did you guys navigate the channel of um, going from this just being a self thing where you wanted to be the best version of yourself to actually teaming up and deciding that this was something else that other people needed to hear? Well, a big part of the podcast in the beginning was documenting our own journey and getting an opportunity to speak to other experts that you'd have to pay thousands of dollars to work with. Uh, in its infancy in podcasting, we had to beg, borrow, and steal to get guests on our show. And when they would come on our show, we'd get an hour to just ask them everything that we wanted to know to improve our lives. And as our lives started to improve and we started taking action on what we were learning on the show, we had more and more show fans reach out to us and say, hey, can you coach me? I, I want the same in my life. And that outreach made us realize, hey, there might actually be an opportunity here for us to help even more people, not just help ourselves. And at that point, Johnny was ready for a move and I was ready for a move and we decided to plant our flag in New York City. And it just so happened that as the podcast was taking off, Sirius XM expressed interest and we got a radio show out of it. And, and that led to building out a coaching company that's now changed thousands of lives. And I'd like to, to add to that as well. The thing about self-development that makes it stick out, at least to me, is the community aspect of it. So once you find yourself enriching your life, enjoying stuff, all you want to do, and at least for myself, is I wanted to talk about it with everybody around me. And I quickly found out that other people don't have the same passion for self-development. <laughs> and 
part of that is, is, is in order to get into self-development, to implement some of these strategies, you have to first admit that you have room to grow. I think that is very uncomfortable for a lot of people to admit. I was a rock and roller. My life was completely created to be unstructured and irresponsible as possible so that I could live a rock and roll lifestyle. Once that came to a head, <laughs> I had to admit the things that needed to be changed if, if I wanna be happier. There is room to grow. So that was easy for me. I guess I was ready to accept that and everything that came with it. However, I quickly found out that not everybody is as willing to accept that fact or is interested in those, those things. And so in starting a, a, a podcast, well, it's an, also it's an opportunity to connect with like-minded people from all around the world. And, and certainly at that time, all this technology and connecting was brand new and much like yourself to be able to reach all these people with these ideas that you can build a community around so you, that you can thrive and flourish. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And I just saw that you guys um, interviewed Jay Shetty recently. He's one of the people that I followed um, on social media for such a long time. Does it ever feel surreal in these 14 years that you've been able to come to a place of prominence in this industry where you probably can make uh, those calls a lot easier than obviously when you guys were first starting and being able to connect with such incredible like-minded individuals. And I would say, you know, even be on the same playing field as them. Is that ever surreal now? It's still surreal. And we still pinch ourselves, to be honest. You know, we're two guys from the Midwest uh, who didn't come from incredible backgrounds and humble beginnings. So for us to have an opportunity to be in the room with these amazing thought leaders, experts, really geniuses in their field, be able to ask them whatever burning questions we have and, and get their honesty and frankness. And I think that's what's really powerful. I know uh, we've been able to build amazing friendships with a lot of the guests on our show, and it's really opened our eyes to the fact that everyone has these same doubts these same insecurities these same struggles it does not matter if we're just paying attention to their social media highlight reel or their best youtube content they're all dealing with these things that we all feel internally and so to hear jay shetty talk about what he goes through when he hits publish on his videos and his self-doubt and, and dealing with haters and to get inside perspective from someone like kobe bryant on mindset i mean for us, it's just been an amazing ride, and I'm so thankful that we hit record 14 years ago. And that sort of reaching out and being a fan has a, a way of allowing you to feel young. And for us, there's a part of us that sort of never grew up who are these young kid podcasters. And when we do reach out and get a reply, we're like, are you kidding me? Even to this day. And we're both, the people we have on the show, we're fans of. So we're really excited that they're going to give up their time to, to come on. And we are certainly fans of a lot of people as well. So that, and that wonderment doesn't leave. And I think if it, if it does, perhaps you're either in the wrong career or you should check your pulse. Um, so being a fan of creativity and ideas and, and human ingenuity and genius is it's it's all it's it's very special 
Yeah. And I think that's one of the cool things about kind of this industry too, is, is people can be so incredibly successful and yet so incredibly humble. And I think that that is an indication of uh, almost proving what self-development can do. Um, so that's really cool. But I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and get more into the, the psychology and the realness of like your guys' opinion, which I value so much. So obviously we're in this crazy time of COVID. We were talking before we started. We're all cooped up and uh, hopefully not going crazy. That's why we need podcasts like The Art of Charm to help you not go crazy. Um, but I think that the world is going to have to go through a really dramatic shift. I don't know about you guys, even when things go back to being able to be in person. And one of the things that uh, I would love to hear your opinion on is uh, talking about education, specifically, you know, K through 12, but also collegiate education and how you think that that world is going to have to shift on the back end, having uh, an entire worldwide pandemic of people going through a really mentally, mental, emotional, and spiritually devastating experience. So that's part one. And part two, um, why do you think, since we all know that these attributes of personal development are so important for the human condition, why were they not previously taught in schools as much as they should have? So that's a long question, but two-part question. Well, I think to start, I'm actually very nervous because many of my struggles with myself and in relationships have to do with the fact that I isolated myself and didn't get the experience of socializing and didn't learn how to connect with people in a genuine way. Growing up in a single father household as an introvert, my dad was introverted. We enjoyed family time, but I didn't get a lot of experience connecting with other kids and other people in the neighborhood. And because of that, I was very limited in that skill set, building relationships as I got to college and beyond. And the unwritten secret to life is that relationships matter far more than your resume and what you've been able to accomplish. They open doors that you didn't even know existed. And I'm nervous because as we shift everything online and we're now talking about online education is growing and, and potentially colleges not going back on campus to rob the future generation of these social skills that they need so desperately to navigate your career and the rest of your life, concerns me and of course that leads into exactly the second part of the question which is you know these skills are so important yet we spend so little time focused on them in traditional schooling yes we do group activities we try to work in groups in college but we don't really understand the basics of how to communicate your thoughts and feelings uh, effectively with others and how to listen to others thoughts and feelings and emotions and for me, it took a lot of trial and error, bringing on experts, a lot of looking at myself to increase my own self-awareness, and a lot of struggles along the way. And that's really why we created the coaching programs that we offer, the in-person and online, to give people an opportunity to, to strengthen these social skills. And now we're creating an environment where we're more isolated. And I would love to be doing this interview in person. I mean, Johnny and I miss having guests in studio with us because there's such a different element when you're in the room and able to read each other's body language, pick up on those cues, and Zoom just doesn't provide that opportunity. So I'm nervous. I'm, I'm very concerned as we come out of this and things change and shift, what that's going to mean to our own health and happiness when relationships are so crucial in our lives. I'd like to, to add to that as well. 
I don't think it is any secret or it is unable to be observed that we're seeing the results of a lot of the technology and these things not being taught in classes all around us, but yet no one wants to say anything about it. Everyone wants to politicize the problem and make it a, a gun problem or this problem, but no one wants to talk about young children and the rates of suicide and anxiety that is going through the roof through all this technology that was supposed to connect us that has, when used in the wrong way, can actually be quite detrimental. And we're, we're seeing that. There was a shooting in Arizona yesterday. I don't know all the specifics, but it was a, a young person. From what I had gathered, they were part of the LGBTQ scene. And so marginalized, possibly not having a place to feel connected, feel as a, 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 an outcast, to, and when you don't feel connected, when you feel to be an outcast and you have, and when you are expressing yourself and it's not accepted because perhaps you're not in the right place to be accepted, you will look for that companionship and you will look for that connectivity wherever you can find it. And online, it's not monitored. And a lot of times that, that connection, that community can raise the toxicity of, of all the terrible feel, the things that you're feeling, all the terrible emotions and heighten those things. And then if you're going to take it out and you're filming it for these people in this community to see, what does that say about how people are feeling and how they're going about looking to be accepted or to, or to feel power when they felt powerless for so long? Um, so it needs to be addressed. It's the elephant in the room. Uh, no one wants to talk about it because they're, they're, it's not in the, in the political agendas. But young people need to be taken care of. And, and, they're gonna, and they're supposed to be our future. And as AJ says, he's nervous. There's plenty to be nervous about. We're seeing the effects of this now. If that problem does not get taken care of, what will it turn into? It's not like the, the social media and the technology isn't going away. So uh, how are we going to use it? And self-development is certainly helps you in your relationships. It helps you uh, understand yourself. It helps you maneuver through the world. And our worldviews need to be updated as, as we update ourselves in order to feel that we can become anything we want to be express ourselves in any manner that we want to and to and to be happy and without those avenues from a, a uh, an updated and constructed worldview you are doomed to what you've been influenced by and if it, you're in a community that is not interested in those type of things it can be it will only magnify and amplify the negativity yeah so good. Completely agree. I completely agree. And I think it's, it's crazy. I've seen it in my individual clients. I have a couple teenage clients who have family members in the medical community and they've been quarantined for three months, literally without human interaction, like not leaving a house. And so I know I'm, I'm thankful that we have things like zoom that didn't exist 10 years ago, um, where we can at least do this and we can, you know, coach our clients and have, um, interaction where we can see each other and connect non-verbally and verbally and all those things, which are so important. But 
I'm really curious, like, so let's say that people don't go back to school in the fall. Um, you know, there's so many different things that that has impacts on no football season or no sports on TV right now. Um, what are some things that maybe for my listeners specifically who are kind of in the 13 to 30 range, mostly female, but also for anybody listening, what are some things that we can do either in our daily routine um, or just self things that even if we are cooped up at home that we can do to put positive energy into our bank, if you will, of uh, really good things that could be coping strategies or just mental health things, emotional health things that, that are healthy, that are in our control right now during this time of quarantine? Well, I think in general, when we're isolated and it's, it's used as torture, it's used as punishment in prisons, when we're isolated, your mind can go to some pretty dark places and it can start to play some tricks on you. And what I've experienced in this quarantine myself in those moments and the times that I've struggled with a bit of darkness around uncertainty in the future is reaching out to people in my network and having a conversation about them and not even about myself. And it seems sort of counterintuitive. It's like, well, if I'm feeling so dark, I, I want to talk about myself, but I don't want to share it with others. But just the simple act of reaching out and listening to other people, engaging in what's going on in their life takes your mind out of its ego centric place and puts your mind in a space of helping others and when we help others we experience positive emotions it actually gives us the same dopamine hit as eating a piece of chocolate it puts you in a space where you're no longer beating yourself up you're no longer frustrated with what's going on with yourself but instead you're of service to others and we talk about this concept on the show it's a core uh, part of all of our courses, which is giving value to others. And we define value as attention, appreciation, and acceptance. Attention right now, we're in the attention economy, and we know that our phones and, and these devices and TVs and media all have our attention, but are we putting our attention on the relationships that matter, the people in our lives that we care about, or are we feeling unsure because we're down and we don't want to share that with them because we're struggling and we don't want to be open and honest about it because we're seeing on social media that other people are thriving right now and reaching out can break that barrier and actually improve your mental health and i think it's so crucial right now especially if we think about losing sports and losing college activities and losing all these things that we look forward to you know, when I look back on my college career, I, I look on it fondly and, and I miss those memories. And I, I feel incredibly lucky that I had that hearing now that, you know, campuses could be closed for the foreseeable future. So I think we have two opportunities, strengthen the relationships that we currently have by picking up the phone and actually having a conversation, not texting, not emailing, but being there to listen to others and reaching out to the people that inspire us, that lead us to get excited about life that are these thought leaders that are these podcasters creators whatever industry you're in and you would be amazed at how reachable people are right now because we've paused everything else in our life we're more accessible on linkedin we're more accessible on social i know our dms have been blowing up and we've been reaching out to people because it's so important to stay connected as isolated as we are and to add to that is to learn what negativity and toxic behaviors look like and, and under, understand that the way the human mind works, it, it, it works from a place of fear. Fear keeps us safe. And so a lot of 
negative behaviors keep us safe. In-group, out-group preferences, these things allow us to stay comfort comfortable. Uh, anytime that you have to go outside your comfort zone, you're putting yourself in danger. And young people need to understand that actually those are the places that you want to be. You want to be outside your comfort zone. You want to be learning. You want to be building skills. And if people are pointing out in-group, out-group preferences, perhaps there's a lot of questions to ask if why are these people the bad people? Uh, a lot of times when you're being pointed out who the bad person is, the, usually the person pointing them out is the one that has a lot of problems and is then surrounded in negativity. For young people, it's difficult to give up a group because that means that to be disconnected and to be the outcast. For young people, that is utterly terrifying. We, we look for groups in our early teens as quickly as possible in order to find some semblance of who we are, some identity, and, and some safety. But once again, not all the times where we're able to fit in are the, are the best places for us. We should be reaching a bit for better places. But understanding what negative and toxic behaviors look like so that when you see them, you're able to understand that that's not good for you and to, to be able to disconnect. I think for a lot of people, they've grown used to certain behaviors because it's innate in all of us to stay comfortable. And it's those lines of what is helping us and what is hurting us become blurred. Yeah. I'm so excited for people to hear that. I think the, the group mentality thing is so important for people. I mean, anybody, honestly, even, I mean, yes, it's even harder when you're young and you're around people in high school every single day or, but it's also the same in a small town. It's also the same when you're 30 and you go to the same bar three times a week, you know, and you see the same people. And so I think that is so incredibly important. And again, I, it just, it makes me mad that we don't learn these things in school um, because they're really the things that will continue to help us as the world develops. And as the world becomes more technologically so social, and, um, you know, we aren't fostering as many handshake relationships. It's, it's really sad to see that these life skills that are so incredibly important um, are just not taught. I remember in college, I went to Belmont in Nashville, and I took a life coaching class. Um, and it was like, oh, this is a world? Like, I remember it was like my first thing of like, oh my gosh, I can study people. And one of our assignments was like, go people watch in a coffee shop and like yeah. study mimicking behavior. And I was like, I am with my people. Literally, it was like amazing. And my teacher um, is the mother of the lead singer of, of Paramore, Haley Williams. And her name's Christy Williams. I don't know if you guys know her, um, but she's incredible. And she broke into the entertainment industry like 20 years ago as, a, as one of the first life coaches because her daughter got signed at 13 and uh, realized that oh my gosh, everyone's a freaking mess, you know? And uh, so, so, and I'm, I'm a musician. My parents met in a recording studio. Like that's my whole side of the family too. Um, and so I related to that on such a, 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 you know, innate level. And I think it's just amazing. Um, but I hope that, I hope that people will wake up during this season. And I, I think my next question is I have a lot of um, clients and just even people who follow me on social media. And I'm sure you guys hear this every day who they hear all this stuff, maybe they even listen to podcasts, um, but at the end of the day, they have not been shown, uh, they don't have an example 
in their immediate life of people who take massive and perfect action, right? There's such a mental block of like, okay, I hear you. Maybe I'm not listening, but it's coming through my head sometimes. And I'm listening to podcasts, but I still just feel paralyzed to do the things that you're telling me to do. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on what are like what's going on when that happens and what are some things that we can encourage people to do to start doing absolutely and i think unfortunately as johnny was saying earlier our comfort zone keeps us safe keeps us alive but all the magic that we're talking about is outside of that comfort zone in what we call our courage zone so it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be diving into the deep end of the pool, but looking for small opportunities to stretch that comfort zone, whether it's picking up a new skill, creating something, you know, we have simple comfort zone challenges that uh, are challenging, but so simple. And afterwards you see this immediate boost and then immediately you feel, well, what else can I do? How else can I break down these walls? And a classic example we have is simply laying down in a crowded space, laying on the ground. And it's a scary thing to do because as Johnny said, it puts you immediately in the out group. You're doing a behavior that no one else is doing and attention's gonna be on you. But laying there for 30 seconds, that fear, that anxiety dissipates and all of a sudden the courage starts to bubble to the surface and you start wondering, what are all these other walls that I've invisibly put up that other people have influenced on me, parents, teachers, my friends, my family, and things that's saying I can't do, I can't do this, I shouldn't do that, why would you do that? And I think being a questioner and trying these smaller comfort zone stretching experiments create a opening and a widening of your comfort zone and start to build that courage that it takes to launch a business, to start a podcast, to do all these other things that you look up to and aspire to but maybe you just don't have the mental fortitude for right now. So we have a bunch of these in our social skills challenge group at theartofcharm.com slash challenge where we're asking you stretch it a little bit and you'll find that as you start to slowly expand that comfort zone, it becomes easier to pick up the guitar. It becomes easier to hit record. It becomes easier to act outside of whatever that group think is that you feel is holding you back. And to add to that, we all have things that we're quite comfortable in. AJ was mentioning guitar, where if somebody's going to see me play on stage and they're going to, there's going to be people like, I don't understand how you can do that. Uh, you're in pageantry. There is a, how many people are like, I, we were just talking about having to answer questions and heels in a bikini. We're like, how do you, how is that going to be, even be done? Uh, you couldn't, that's going to be a difficult social challenge for me to do. Now, we all have those things. When did we learn these things? We learned them when we were young. I learned to play guitar young. Some people have had pageant lives since they can remember. And you become accustomed to that. But when you learn to do it as a child, there was a, a bewilderment and a sense of humor and a, a coming at it from a childlike innocence that allowed you to fail, to do it terribly, to have fun with it. And that's called play and as we get older the hat that we don that puts food on our plate and a roof over our head usually comes with analytical problem solving skills that we have honed to be able to do that and because we may be doing that 40 50 60 hours a week 
we forget what it's like to go back and learn things from a playful childlike spirit and developing and getting back to that starting with a good sense of humor about yourself and the task you're about to do terribly uh, needs to be reenacted and you get more and more familiar with it once again and once you do that once those doors get open then you be as aj mentioned about what else can i do what other fun things can i do there had been a point in my adult life getting involved in self-development where you just start saying yes to things without even thinking about it because you know that if you think about it you're going to end up with a no and if you just say yes You've now told somebody else you're going to do it. And now you can just prepare for the ass kicking that you're about to get rather than how you're going to get out of it. <laughs> I love that. I, I was just talking like, oh my gosh, that resonates with me so much. I'm like, I'm just going to go back and listen to this for myself, which is, which is awesome. I mean, that's why we're here. But um, I was just talking to one of my board members um, the other day and I have this big audacious goal that I'm working on um, for the next year. And he said, you know what, when he was running not just a marathon, it was like a super marathon in like South Africa or something crazy. I was like, that is not my calling. But anyways, um, he was running in Africa. And, and before that, he said one of the things that he did, because he knows that he, in order to reach that goal, had to put his ego in it. And it was an interesting way of putting it. But he said, I went and told everybody. I told everybody I was going to run this marathon. I told everybody what I was doing. Um, And he said in mile nine of like the 50 miles or whatever, that he cramps so badly that Uh, he'd never cramped before. He was like, I absolutely can't finish. Like, I can't do this. Uh, My body is just giving out. And he said in that moment of adversity, he was mentally rehearsing all the people that he told and (laughs) how devastating it would be to have to come home and say, I didn't finish. And I think that there's, that's such a word in that of like, wow, what do we need to do? Or how willing are we willing to go to get a little bit outside of our comfort zone to motivate us to accomplish that thing? Whether it's like asking somebody on a date for the first time or learning how to walk in heels or going and running a super marathon. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. You know, just to add on to that really quickly, people are so determined to build a list of their victories. Uh, and I think people need to start building a list of their failures and need to learn to laugh at that and try to get their failures up over their list of victories. The more, I mean, and to be able to look at it and laugh about it. I can tell you all of the, the things that I've done in the name of the art of charm of that were new, that were different, that I had come up short <laughs> just because it was the first time. And I don't, of course I'd like to crush it out of the park, but that's just not the reality for most things. Yeah, absolutely. And so I have a question kind of going off of the thing that we said earlier. So I was listening to your episode on charisma, which is something that we talk about all the time in pageantry, because you want to have the it factor. You want to be the girl that stands out. You have all these people that are intelligent and beautiful and fit and all these different things. So I had never heard it put that way where you're talking about play versus analytical. And like, I love that. I'm totally going to steal that. And uh, what do you think is the balance there of um, how that affects someone's charisma in terms of like the analytical parts where it's like, yes, you need to have the skill set, but also like how does having a, a grasp on bewilderment, sense of humor, vulnerability, you know, failure, the play aspects, um, how does that play into like likability and charisma? I'm really, I'm really curious. 
So charisma is defined by three factors in our minds. And the first is presence. And that is being in the moment. When we think about the most charismatic person that we've interacted with, they are fully present. They are listening to us. They are attentive to us. And right now, of course, that's a challenge in the attention economy. The second factor is enthusiasm. And that's where play comes in. Because when we go analytical, we go serious. And serious does not track with charisma. We need to be enthusiastic. We need to have that zest, that zeal that gets other people on board and excited too. And that enthusiasm is infectious when used right. And that's really where charisma shines because we are drawn to those people. We want more of that emotion in our lives. So for, as Johnny was saying, a lot of us, when we're in analytical roles for as long as we are, it's tough to switch hats and put on that, oh, okay, I'm just going to be playful and silly and fun. So much like any other muscle or skill we need to build, we need to practice that. We need to create space for that in our lives. And for many of us, that space is after work, unplugging and creating and finding that opportunity to play and be silly. And, you know, we have clients who do improv to help them work that muscle. We have clients who throw themselves in learning creative skills like playing guitar, like painting, getting on stage and doing stand up. That's how we exercise that muscle. And much like a bodybuilder who's only focused on his upper body with skinny legs, uh, when you're top heavy, when you're only analytical, it's going to be very difficult to stand up on stage and, and have that charisma. So that is the second factor. And the third and final factor is confidence. And we break down confidence into three things, a positive attitude and outlook, uh, immense and intense amount of knowledge about the subject matter at hand and experience. And when you have those three things working to your advantage, you have that innate confidence that people pick up on. So if you have negative self-talk, well, of course, that's not going to perpetuate as confidence. If you lack an experience, the first time you do anything, as Johnny said, we're not going to feel confident. And if we haven't spent the time to actually learn it to a degree that we are knowledgeable, we're going to lack in confidence. So that's how we break down charisma. And that enthusiasm is where play comes in. If, if we can mix play into our daily lives and create space for it. And as we see as parents playing with kids, that draws that out of us. And that creates that enthusiasm that's so infectious. And to add to that, if, when you compartmentalize them, you can focus on each one. So if I'm going into something that I don't have much confidence over because I've never done it before, I'm going to amp up the presence and the enthusiasm that will allow me to focus on what I need to do in that moment to enjoy myself. If I try to focus on confidence, I'm going to be lost. There's nothing I can grab there. And in fact, it's, it's going to put me in a very frustrated position having to go through what I need to go through. Especially if I'm going to be doing that again, I'm, I'm going to want to take from it what I can so I'll be better for the next time. How will I be able to do that? By being fully engaged and present in what is happening. So by compartmentalizing, you can look at what do I need in this moment? Do I need presence? Do I need enthusiasm? Do I need confidence? And so, and go with what you can d deliver. 
also there's many times where people are going into something where maybe they don't feel at their best. So they don't feel very charismatic. Uh, once again, if you compartmentalize, I was like, okay, I'm going on this date. I don't know this person very well. This is a first date. Maybe I'm a little bit self-conscious of, of the person. Maybe I really enjoyed their pictures. What am I going to do in this moment to maximize me in, in this moment? Presence on the conversation and being there and focused on the other person and attentive and my enthusiasm for being there. If I focus on my confidence in this situation where I've never been before and I don't know who this person is, I'm going to be taken from pay, uh, presence. I'm going to be taken from enthusiasm. Now I'm going to be seen as somebody who's very serious or who wasn't very fun. Those are the things that are going to stick that that person is going to remember because they remember how we allowed them to feel. And if I was focusing on my competency and being analytical on this first date, all they're gonna remember is person was a bit dry, person was a bit withdrawn. That is not going to help uh, spark some good feelings. This is so cool. So as an interview coach, like you guys have such an amazing way of making this black and white. I am like the most black and white thinker in the entire world. So like, you don't know how much this is blessing my soul right now, but as an interview coach, like we're, I'm teaching these things all the time. Cause our girls go in and it's a 10 minute interview. You can be asked anything from politics and policy to your individual platform, to your bio, like anything for 10 minutes, five, five <laughs> judges, coming at you like a press interview right so again i say the stereotype is so wrong about pageant girls i'm like could y'all do this for 10 minutes other people anyways um but i think that this is so applicable and so cool and i'm going to encourage all of my girls to go and go through your materials because i think that this breaks the very deeply rooted lie that that i also heard you guys talk about that at we're born with it. You either have it or you don't. And I also read the charisma myth that you guys talked about. Um, I read that about a year ago. It's one of those you have to read like all the time. And I think that it's just so beautiful that I, and I think people can learn to love themselves a lot more realizing that you really can work on all the parts of yourself that maybe uh, you don't love and, and not in like a self-hatred way, but like seeing this, this new door open when you guys explain it the way that you do. Okay, great. So you are analytical. So you are a little bit awkward. Say you did have parents who didn't show you, you know, enough social interaction or you were homeschooled, you know, or whatever. This provides a pathway to success for those people that really says, Hey, like there's nothing wrong with you. Guess what? You're amazing at something else that somebody else totally sucks at. And so let's find out what that is. But there are practical strategies that you guys can dive into if you do want to have a greater presence, even if you are a scientist, even if you are going to be stuck in a lab the rest of your life, if you want to have meaningful relationships and know how to approach a girl at a bar or whatever, like this is just so cool. And I thank you guys for just, again, like what you're doing every day and how you share these things. Cause I just, I see how it's, it's going to help people from any industry. And, and that just, that means the world to me. That's really cool. Well, thank you. And I feel like for us, the most important thing is actionability, actionability, making the science relevant to your lives so you could take action on it. You know, we could go deep into what's going on psychologically and, and the research that went into it. But if you can't actually take that research and apply it in your life, then you're going to feel stuck and you're going to fall into that myth that you're born with it. 
So in all of this breaking down charisma, conversation, relationship building, we just want everything to be actionable. And when it's actionable, it becomes fun. And then it's great to take chances and you're not tying yourself to that analytical side of your mind that we talked about that doesn't create space for connection. Hmm. And just to, to add to that, uh, when the doors open for you in self-development, where you're able to see the learning process as something that is fun, the world is your oyster. So you now have a system to look at everything that you are not comfortable with, that is out of your wheelhouse, that you will be able to extract an enjoyment from it. And with that comes confidence, experience points that transfer the confidence. No one can take that away from you. Stories that you will be able to tell your friends about and, and, and use to engage with. And, and you'll learn something about yourself that was previously unknown to you that is invaluable. So those three things are going to be a win every time. Yeah, so cool. Um, I don't know if you guys are allowed to share this, so obviously you can you can decline. Um, but I would love to know, what is a story, um, without revealing personal details of someone, obviously, of maybe an example of this that you guys have seen of somebody who started off as like incredibly analytical, um, or even I imagine there's people who uh, have a coping mechanism of making everything fun and not being able to get things, you know, deep or serious as well. Um, but is there a, a general story that you could tell of somebody that walked through a really powerful transformation that maybe you think would be beneficial for us to hear? Yes. Um, one, it just, since you started mentioning it, one just popped into my head and this is one that I love. This is about somebody who was fixed, who had a fixed idea about themselves and their career of choice that hindered them in their, in their life's journey. So this was one of our live training programs, uh, which are all online as well now with everything that is going on and incredibly effective. But the, the view that this person had of themselves was they were very analytical and they used to play video games as their main source of enjoyment. In fact, not only was it their main source of enjoyment, it was also a hobby that had turned into a profession where they were making money playing video games. And they saw it as such a taboo thing that if they thought if anyone found out about this passion, that they would be relegated to nerd or dork or whatever you want to say. And so because of that, they were worried about any hints of this slipping out in conversation. So they were always heavily guarded when it came to their own self-expression. Now, in our classrooms, there's a part where you have to give your shared narrative, your story of who you are and how you came into this point, which seems like a very simple exercise. But if you do it right, it can seem uh, you will be you will be exposing parts of yourself to people that perhaps in the past you've kept under wraps. So everybody else did their story. Everyone had a wonderful time. Everyone was sharing and hugging each other. Like that was amazing. You're so cool. 
And one person who has been quiet all week had decided maybe I could just be quiet and skit through this. I saw it happening and I let them know that they weren't going to get through this and they had to share their story and he's fine. I'm going to go up and do my story. He gives a half-assed story that wasn't what we wanted and wasn't what everyone else was doing. And I mentioned that and I said, you gave us a half-assed story. You're not getting through this so easily. And the rest of the kids in class who really exposed themselves were like, yeah, it's not fair that we went through this and you could just, uh, skim it. And he realized that he was in a place and that he was going to have to pony up. And he said, fine, you guys want the story? I'll give you the story. And he goes on to tell the story about an event called Evo, which is an online gaming event in Las Vegas. And the game that he has learned to be proficient and an expert at is called Street Fighter. It's this 90s video game and he, long story short he goes through the battles and now fights the, the the champion for the title and he almost wins but he the guy ends up pulling out some move and he, he dies but he had been accepted into this community of these gaming kids this big celebration and the guys on the couch who heard the story they were in just so enthralled at the end of their seats. And they were like, this is the most amazing story I've ever heard. Ah, this is incredible. And for the first time, he looked around and saw that this thing that he was so scared of anyone finding out, were so scared to ever divulge to anybody, has now been shown. And not only no one cares, everyone's so excited for him in this story and the and the, the video of this whole thing was on YouTube and all the guys were watching and they're like, this is so crazy. And it was at that moment that things had clicked for him where for the rest of the program, we couldn't shut him up. We, we couldn't, he was the most active, the most loud, the most gregarious, the, most, the person who was enjoying the program the most because this hurdle had been stopping him this whole time and he had put up so many systems that keep from triggering any of those doors that it hindered him in multiple aspects of his life. And so now he has built his own company. He has the career that he's always wanted uh, because after that was open, those, those systems were torn down because there was no use for them being there anymore. That is so powerful. I think that's such a word for people. I mean, and whether it's rooted in, trauma in childhood or just things that we go through in relationships. It's just amazing how counterintuitively we teach ourselves to be who we are when it's not working for us. And yet we're so adverse to change that. I mean, I've, I've experienced that in my own personal life, having walked through a emotionally abusive relationship and, you know, an eating disorder and things like that in my past, that it's just amazing the ways that we are so afraid of change or 
afraid, yes, but also just like not equipped. You know, if we don't have that person that we can talk to, um, like I heard you talking about on another podcast and just somebody to reach out to, like, what are we supposed to do? You know, before podcasts, before uh, online resources for counseling, before counseling was so taboo and still is, you know, for for so long, um, it's just a marvel that I think growing up, we see even adults as such superheroes and people who have it all together. And the older that I get, I'm only 27, but the older that I get, um, just even realizing that so many people have problems and just weights that they're carrying around on their backs that are not serving them, but they're so under-equipped with these life skills and communication skills and resiliency skills to be able to say, hey, like, do I like that? Do I want to weigh 400 pounds every day with this giant weight on my back when like I could just take it off and not do that? Um, it's just amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. So my last question for you guys today, cause I want to be respectful of your time, um, is because our, our audience is predominantly women. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. So, um, we have high achieving women who I, I coach every single day and a lot of who follow me on social media just innately. Um, what is something that you've seen over the past 14, 15 years um, that women believe about themselves and maybe high achieving women specifically that A, you wish that they wouldn't and um, maybe what it, what is the primary way that you've been able to help women or maybe like unravel a, a mindset that they carry most often. Um, but just kind of thinking of that audience, I'd love to just hear your, your thoughts and your message to them to encourage them. Well, I think for me, one of the blocks that I see a lot of women have, especially in their career is this constant need to apologize for acceptable behavior. And Unfortunately, it undercuts your charisma, your confidence, your ability to communicate effectively with others. And I know so many women struggle when they feel like they're trying to fit in. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to be labeled in terms that are derogatory. And we see it in politics. We see it in our leaders. But when we bring apologies to the table for acceptable behavior, we shrink. And when we shrink, people do not respect us, people do not want to follow us, and ultimately it robs us of leadership positions. So for women listening who find themselves apologizing for things that really do not necessitate an apology, breaking that habit, I think, is one of the, the biggest ways for you to become a more effective communicator in your career and ultimately inspire more people to follow you versus you shrinking in the moment. And we've done these uh, exercises in our programs with women and realize that as we go around the room, all the women in the room recognize this in other women, but they struggle to recognize it in themselves. So they can catch other women apologizing and say, hey, you don't need to apologize for that, but they still have this habit. And for me, one of the biggest ways that I've been able to break the triggers that lead to these negative habits is to journal and write down my thoughts and feelings and process them fully. And many of us, when we apologize, we deflect those thoughts and feelings. We don't let them come to a head. We never deal with them. And that becomes a bad habit that we need to break. So for the women listening who find themselves apologizing for things that do not necessitate an apology, 
a simple journaling practice at the end of each day, thoughts and feelings, and those moments that you remember apologizing and interrogating those and saying, well, really, was this something that necessitates an apology? Was I really doing something out of line or am I using that to shrink myself, to um, make myself smaller so that I don't offend anyone when in actuality that is not offensive in any way? And for myself, something that I've been seeing and I've experienced in our classrooms, it, it, the, when we had done the female programs, the ladies had always wanted to thank me for giving a forum for them to discuss things that they have felt in the past they didn't have an outlet to discuss. Where culturally, we're at a place where everyone's easily offended, there's all this stuff going on, but, but yet people naturally have questions about certain things and they don't feel that they can ask them without being labeled in a certain manner or seem to be on one side or another. They're just trying to learn about the world around them and themselves. Young men have this same issue, but for the, for the ladies, a lot of times in our classrooms, they just wanted to talk about some things and have an honest answer about them. And for myself to be a part of that and to give I can't speak for men. However, I can speak for myself and my thoughts about that. And being able to speak freely without judgment and finding that I think is very important. And for our our network that we have at the Art of Charm and our and our our uh, classes, we want everybody to be able to be able to speak and ask questions that they've been wanting to have a conversation about without being judged. And I think that is incredibly important. And uh, unfortunately, there is an online culture that, that, that everyone's scared of. And as a podcaster, I'm sure that you know at some point you're gonna say something wrong or have the nightmares of it, and you're gonna get the pushback and the emails. And it's like, you have to get over that idea and say, you know what, if I'm getting that, that means people are listening and fine and grid and oh, well, bring it on. And, and we all have to break through those concerns and of, of, of judgment. And once you do, you're going to be able to find your truth. And that is very important because once you find your truth, then you are, then you're able to center yourself. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know that so many women are just going to take a breath after hearing that and say, thank you for providing a space for me to even hear it in this, uh, this small platform. So the last thing that I want to do um, for everybody listening, I want to make sure that you guys have the ability to, to connect with these guys. So uh, whichever one of you want to kind of share how people can join your classroom and your courses and all the different things that you have to offer. Certainly listen to your podcast. We'd love to give you an opportunity to do that. Hey, Jay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. And it's been a blast. Our podcast is at theartofcharm.com. We have a free social skills challenge that's unisex. So guys and gals join a private Facebook community, as Johnny said, in an open forum to discuss a lot of things that maybe we don't feel comfortable with friends and family. And that's theartofcharm.com slash challenge. 
Uh, Johnny runs most of our social media and goes live every single weekday on all of our platforms. So if you have some burning questions for him after this interview, uh, social media is a great way to engage with us at The Art of Charm on all of those wonderful platforms. And thank you again for what you're doing and, and helping young women and just people in general realize that you know there's nothing wrong with personal development and maybe you didn't grow up in a, a family that preached it maybe you didn't experience it before but we all have the capacity to change no matter how scary it is and i love hearing stories of people working through their weaknesses and coming out stronger and more courageous so we really love what you're doing megan awesome thank you thank you so much you guys well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of season two of the Powerhouse Podcast. I'm Coach Megan. As always, you can follow me at Megan underscore Swanson. You can DM us to join our email list. You can follow us at Powerhouse Pageantry or at the Powerhouse Project. And I'm so excited to get to continue to pour into your life spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. Wow, that's a mouthful. In this beautiful year of 2020, never forget your worth, stand up for what you believe in, and allow your spirit to stand up on the inside of you to show you who you really are. Have a great day.